Hello, and welcome back to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. This week, we are breaking down season one, episode two, Ah, But Underneath, written by Mark Cherry and directed by Larry Shaw. First aired October 10th, 2004. I'm Rachel Warren, and my question for you today, for my co-host today, is tell me about a time you were looking right at something that you did not see. Ooh, um, I'm Amanda Baum, co-host of this fabulous podcast. Yay! And I feel like this happens to me like all the time. Um, when I'm looking at directions, I'm looking right at right at the directions, and there are things that I'm not seeing. Um, I don't, I don't know, like kind of all the time. Everything I'm looking at, I feel like I get so bogged down with like the bigger picture that I don't always look to see those important details that I'm that I feel like I'm missing. How about you? So I think there are two for me. One we talked about, and almost I think everybody's had this experience, is my phone. Because I don't always use it as a phone like to make calls and or text, I sometimes use it as my musical device. I sometimes use it uh, to distract my child. I will give it to my daughter and, you know, have that be a distraction for her for a second. And then all of a sudden I'll be looking for my phone and have no idea where it is, or even, you know, give myself an hour and say, where's my phone? I haven't seen it in an hour. So that's one. But I also think uh, I hate doing projects around the house. And when I find that something is like, Oh, I should fix that blind. I let it become a thing for me so that I no longer see it because the longer it stays there, the more it just becomes part of my house. And then I don't notice that that blind has been, um, off center for a year until somebody tells me and gets me to do it. So I can look at things and not see them all the time. I think, Oh, wow. Like when you say it that way, I, I feel the same way where there are things like when we do a project, my husband and I have done so many projects at our house since the start of the pandemic. And I'm always like, Oh, that little thing is wrong with it. It's really going to bug me. And then within a, like a couple of days, I don't even see it anymore something that I thought was going to like cause me to not even enjoy the completed project just becomes part of the background. And maybe that's our internal way of taking care of ourselves. That's a defense mechanism that we're, we're going to use to, to, to block out what's happening. And I think that that is very appropriate to today's episode. Um, yeah. So couple of things before we get into this episode are our missed opportunities want 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 from last time uh we said that we wanted to keep this fun we wanted to keep it light and therefore we're not going to go back and fix every mistake and when my child walks in we're going to keep that uh as long as we don't get too expletive uh, i think we'll probably just you know love it for what it is yeah love it in all its forms uh but there are a couple things that i thought were missed opportunities so i wanted us to check back in circle back on these so uh first of all the title of the podcast that's important right like where did where did this come from so the missed opportunity when susan is revealing her husband carl's affair at that table we talked about the cinematography of pouring the coffee uh in the present day at the wake and that it brings you to a flashback of when they're all sitting at the table when mary alice was alive and she's talking about carl's affair and she says that his rationale for having the affair was it didn't mean anything it was just sex and that was a close runner-up to the title for this podcast i'm just kidding i'm not kidding but- yeah, but it that's never a good explanation for that, I don't think. 
Not at all. And it wouldn't have been a great podcast title host either. Um, Susan says that Carl tells her, well, you know what, Susan, most men lead lives of quiet desperation, to which Susan, I mean, a perfect rebuttal, right? She just rebuffs, yeah, well, what do most women leave? Uh, sorry. What do most women lead? A life of noisy fulfillment? And behold, our podcast name. There it is. And that is why we are called Noisy Fulfillment, because I feel my life is fulfilled and it's noisy. Definitely. And something that, Amanda, we were going back and forth. Your husband was finding some some pieces, that you're watching it together, and he's finding some pieces. So we said that your husband, who probably deserves an executive producer credit, makes an assertion about Gabby's lawnmower. What was that? Um, That it was a... Um, golf course lawnmower. I thought it looked like a snowblower. And he said, um, cause I, I said something about how these people are so rich. Why don't they have a riding lawnmower? Right. And he pulled up a picture of a golf course, like putting green lawnmower and very quickly set me straight that, um, that's even more than a riding lawnmower. So yes, they are very wealthy. And he, uh, Carlos is really super interested in having a very short, golf course putting green style lawn. I still believe the machine looks like a snowblower, but I I stand corrected on that one. Fantastic. Well, I'm delighted that you could help us out with this. But the next piece we ta- the next piece that he pulled, um, we were talking about how does John have time to be doing this during the day when Carlos is at work? Shouldn't he be at school? And he had he had an interesting theory about that too. Can you tell us about that? He said that he thought it was summertime because the rose bushes were blooming. Okay. And the rose becomes the, the gift that he gives to Gabby. And so it's symbolic of, of multiple things here. Um, at the same time, Julie was working on that Trojan horse social studies project. And a drain clogger. Yeah. And their encounter in this episode, John says he has a ton of homework to do afterwards and that he'll be able to focus more, which is yeah, interesting thought on that, John. No kidding. So uh, it looks like maybe the they just really needed it to be a rose, and when roses are in bloom, and it's still the school year. But what we'll can we chalk do? it up to a plot hole? I'm sure it won't be the the last that we'll find. On top of that, I keep in mind that it was in 2004, where yeah, you could be annoyed by continuity errors. You could say, you know, that 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 totally contradicts what happened in another episode. But there wasn't. Twitter, like, you know, that this wasn't a thing where you could respond to, you could write in, but who knows if the executive producers or any of the stars would ever see it. Um, and, and now we just live in a time where we can watch it and then respond to it immediately and correct people. And, and they have to be more cognizant of that. So yeah, we, for, for reason, we think that our opinion is more valued by everybody in the whole entire world now than we did in 2004. Like we're not going to, you know, we're not going to let that fly, man. We're going to hold you accountable for uh, your continuity errors, if not for your salacious content coming up here, right? Awesome. Anything else we need to circle back on? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. I'm sure that won't be the last time that we have to do that. Nope. Probably once per uh, per episode, because you always find something that could be improved, right? Um. Okay, so in this episode, this episode directed by Larry Shaw, who was on Gossip Girl, 21 Jump Street, the TV series, and then some gems that maybe only are interesting to me, Jackie Ethel Joan, the women of Camelot, uh, and Tanya and Nancy, the inside story, like circa 94. Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, yes. 
that was uh, again just my my little my my little childhood heart broke when there was something bad happening in in ice skating that people were doing bad things in ice skating. Who can you trust after that? No, and I I happened to live during that time in the Pacific Northwest. Oh yes, like Harding. a half and a half from where Tanya Harding correct lived and happened to shop a lot at the mall where she um, skated. So it was all over the headlines where I lived. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. That would be the TMZ moment of my life is I saw Tanya Hardy walking out of the mall. Oh gosh, I I would dine out on that story forever and tell you something about what I care about. (laughs) (laughs) I value too in my life. Oh, Amanda. Amanda, can you take us to a summary before we, you know, totally derail today? So sure. Um, Everybody kind of has their own stuff going on during this episode. The women are still kind of trying to figure out what to do about this letter that they found in Mary Alice's size eight clothing. Um, Gabby and her boyfriend, John, have a little bit of a tryst in the bathtub and almost get caught by Carlos. Um, Gabby decides she wants to stay up all night and talk with Carlos, but he has different plans. So we kind of see that they have some different goals in their marriage. Uh, Brie and her husband go to couples therapy, which I think we see a couple of different segments of that, which ends sort of as a victory for Brie, which I found very interesting. Can't wait to bring that up. Yeah. Susan finally asks Mike out to dinner, but of course that doesn't go the way that she planned, ends up with an emergency trip to the vet. Um, Edie is up to her normal stuff, which we'll get into. And then Lynette's Lynette's kids are testing her patients and um, she gets into a little bit of a skirmish with a cop and almost ends up with a DCFS kind of situation on her hands. So just everybody's got their, everybody's got their stuff this episode. Lots of things to talk about. We have to tangle all these cords so that we can create all the messes that we'll that we'll work through in the next twenty two episodes, right? Um, I'm, sh- but I know what's most important to you is the swimming pool. Dun dun dun! Oh, right when he pulled, when um, Paul pulled the it's Paul, right? That's the thing. Yeah, when he pulls that box out of, I had flashbacks of remembering it. Yes, definitely. But my husband was like really upset with what he chose to do in that situation, which we'll talk about when we get to it. But yeah, we had, we had some conversation about whether that was the best course of action. I feel completely the same. Um, something, because last time it was called the pilot, it was just called the pilot and many pilots are called pilot, uh, but wanted to check in on episode title check-in, our segment. Um, Abba Underneath is the title of this episode and it's a song that appears in some versions of the Stephen Sondheim musical Follies, written for the 1987 London production in which it replaced the story of Lucy and Jesse because there has been um, I don't know, controversy or back and forth about, no, not, they're not all Stephen Sondheim musicals. They're not all Stephen Sondheim, um, music from Stephen Sondheim. And this one was particularly challenging because some versions will see it and some will not um, see Abba underneath. So okay, we, we righted that course. Let's get into the episode. I love it. 
So uh, we we open with Mary Alice talking about how something interesting happens when we die. Um, we lose all of, all the the senses we don't need anymore, but our sight so becomes our sound and taste and touch and all of that. Yes, we don't need those things anymore, but our vision just becomes so much better because we're not maybe we're not blocked by everything else that's going on, and we can see things so clearly. And she says one of the things that she wished she could see clearly was her friend. Gabrielle, and that she was a drowning woman. And we see her in a kind of a dark moment where she's in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it becomes, le- I don't know, less dark, not necessarily lighter, uh, because we understand the problematic relationship, uh, or the problematic nature of this, if we're even going to call it a relationship. Um, Gabby is taking a bath with John when Carlos unexpectedly comes home and he escapes through the window with Gabby throwing his clothes out after him. But his, uh, but right before John escapes through the window, you see that he's wearing underwear under his towel. But when he's pushed out the window and his towel falls off, suddenly he's not wearing any. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's great. That's great. I, um, I thought it was really interesting that they could be obviously in an insulated room in their house, but still able to hear the carver slam. Did you find that interesting at all? Absolutely, because I am sitting in my basement recording this, and it's right above my front door, and we miss pizzas, we miss people ringing the doorbell, absolutely everything. So I, either I'm not paying attention because I'm always focused on something else when I'm down here, which maybe means that I'm totally present and in the moment, so I'm going to celebrate that, but... <laughs> No, I would not know. And honestly, I worry about that all the time. I'm like, I'll be in the shower. Somebody will come in and, and you know, just steal stuff. I don't know. If I, could, I just, I mean, my doors are locked, but I guess that brings me to something else. Interesting to me that Gabby has her affair in broad daylight in her own home with the windows wide open. Yeah. Don't they have a maid? Wouldn't the maid tell Carlos? There are obviously neighbors. I don't walk around my house naked uh, with the windows open and the, I, you know, what happened here? I'm super confident that they have a maid because Gabby even made that one comment about how she was so bored she almost cleaned the house. Like, (laughs) she's clearly not doing it, and Carlos is never home, so somebody's cleaning the house, but maybe they have a Roomba. I don't know. The Roomba tells no tales. I guess that's true, but I'll tell you, the Roomba doesn't fold laundry either, and I don't see Gabby folding laundry. No. 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 I'm pretty freaked out that she was going to feel the wrath of Carlos, too. Like, I kind of wonder, I feel like there was something else that happened later on in this episode that just made me wonder if there wasn't a little bit of a domestic yeah. violence, like, like on the cusp of it within this relationship. Absolutely. And I think that's intentional because um, even the, just the language, if we look at that language, Gabby knew that if her husband discovered her secret, she would feel the full force of his wrath. Obviously, any partner who's being cheated on has the right to their anger, but it does make me worry that Gabby is afraid he will physically hurt her. And we've seen that he's apparently okay, okay with certain types of assault. Um, Tanaka, with the Tanaka, the ass grabber. Um, if you have to grab your ass, you let him. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think we're set up to, to feel that way. I agree with you. I agree with you. So, And I, I wish I would have caught the underwear thing. Um, that was, but I definitely, as I was watching it, I definitely remember like even talking to my mom about this show when it first aired, um, her laughing about the kid getting pushed out the window and then, and then they cut to him, like cutting the hedges and he's got on her shirt and you can see that he's lampshading with the shirt. Like he has nothing on underneath it. 
What Carlos couldn't see wouldn't hurt Gabby, right? Ah, but underneath. <laughs> if only you could see underneath this, Carlos. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So much going on there. So um, but we kind of get back to the mystery check-in, right? The ladies are at someone's house discussing the mysterious letter they found at the end of the last episode. I couldn't clock whose house it was. Could you? No, I couldn't either. I thought maybe it was Lynette's because she was, like, up and doing, like, busy at the sink. It definitely wasn't Breeze. But that I was like, but it's not Lynette's because there's it's not like a war zone. It, yes, and it's and it doesn't have that direct lead into the living room because they 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 pan a couple times and I I felt like it wasn't there, but perhaps yeah, I didn't figure that out either. So maybe somebody will listen to this and tell us what we're missing here, and maybe it's just a set that they used, and you know it's the early and it's early in the season, and, and it's 2004, so they don't really care how we feel about continuity. So not really. Um, and they come up with this question, how much do we really want to know about our neighbors? I think that's a fair question. I, I think that's a fair question. And I think it's fair to not really want to know a lot about your neighbors. It's kind of like that drive by, hey, how are you? I have no intention of standing here and finding out how you are. I'm continuing on my way. I'm walking my dog or I'm you know, chasing my kids. But yeah, how are you? And walk away. Yep. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So they... Um, they pan to the dug up swimming pool. And my question is, how do you, how do people not notice? Like they went from this wake at their house where they had a full swimming pool to like, it didn't seem like it was that long after the pool's been completely drained and they're like underneath the cement at the, I don't know, is it cement? Whatever that's, whatever it is. At the bottom. Yeah. I'm thinking of cement. They're underneath it to like the rebar. Like pulling out this this trunk. How how is this not noticed by the people in their neighborhood? And how are these men able to do this just with their bare hands? And my neighbors, I and rightfully so, your sleep would be disturbed and you have children, you have lives. My neighbors would be on the Facebook message saying, Hey Rachel, what are you doing in the middle of the night? Right. It, this not wait until tomorrow. People would come out and see. So again, we have to suspend disbelief. I get it. Uh, but yeah. The the next part, and I'm wondering if this is what you wanted to talk about that you and your husband talked about when you watched it, is why do it? Why dig it up? I right. Why are we digging it up just to go drop it somewhere else? Like what? And and then I was like, well, maybe they're digging it up because they're afraid. They're afraid somebody's going to find it, and um, they don't want it on their property anymore. Because then I was thinking about the letter, and maybe. Paul, maybe Mary Alice and Paul talked about Mary Alice receiving that letter before she committed suicide. And so maybe he knew that it was on someone's radar. Maybe he was digging it up to make sure it was still there because he was on someone's radar. I, like, I don't know. And you can get taken away in your paranoia, right? You can you can make all sorts of rash decisions in your paranoia. But as a somebody who's bought and sold multiple homes and I never, ever want to do the process again... I know that if I'm selling a house, I don't want to also have to have to redo that pool. I don't want to do, you know, whatever. If you're going to get rid of the house, maybe you're worried that it shouldn't stay there. In my opinion, that's why you can never sell that house. And you yeah. just live in bad memories or you have to hold on to it and rent it. I, you know, so just no idea why. Because it's, in, because it's interesting and ah underneath, right? But yeah, I saw what I saw wouldn't have done that. Yeah, no, no, no. 
So the women decide to go home, not having made a decision about the mysterious note. They all have trouble sleeping, thinking about how alone Mary Ellis must have uh, felt to have chosen suicide. And we start seeing things about their lives, right? That at Bree's house, we learn that Bree's husband is sleeping on the couch downstairs. And Bree reminds them that when they met, she was already engaged to Ty Grant. And even so, and even though her father didn't like Rex, she still said yes when he proposed. Break this down for me because I don't know. I'm not drinking wine with some mysterious other person when I'm engaged. Oops. No, but then that makes me think. Remember how he said, Rex said in the last episode that he misses the Brie that she was before. Like, that definitely doesn't track with the Brie Vandy Camp that we know now. So I thought that was interesting that he shed a little bit of light on the fact that their, their beginnings were maybe a little bit more scandalous than we would expect from her. And that she gave up things for him, right? She, she right. Her plan, her family was on board with her marrying this person. She agreed to marry this person. Obviously, we don't know the depth of that relationship, but this was a, a this was an alter. This was this was a divergence in what she thought her path was going to be. And you know, I did that for you, and you promised. And now I'm I'm holding you accountable for that. So and she also didn't seem to have a lot of like sadness attached attached with this situation it was more determination like yeah will cancel the divorce lawyer and we're going to counseling like she wasn't taking no for an answer um which i mean that seems to be more on on par with who she is now right right absolutely and we'll be interested to get back to that one one because asking somebody to go to counseling or telling somebody that they're going to counseling um, when they're a reluctant partner. You know, I've, I've found therapy to be extremely beneficial in my life, but I'm an active participant. I could understand why it wouldn't be uh, if, if you're not an active participant. So uh, and also like, again, I'm just taken by the fact that she was, it, it didn't seem like a vulnerable for her conversation. It was mm-hmm. more like a bossy conversation and that like telling your partner, we really, we're going to, we're, we're in trouble. We're going to go to therapy. Seems like a conversation in which you would be vulnerable. Right. And I want to work through this with you. Will you work through this with me? Are you willing to work through it? And when you don't want to hear the answer to that question, I suppose maybe that's been the way Brie has dealt with multiple things in her life is that I don't really want to hear the answer to the question. Do you want, um, I can't even think of a fancy thing that she would cook because I, I don't, Chateaubriand, is that a thing? Um, <laughs> I don't care if you want Chateaubriand tonight or not. That's what I'm making. So. Yeah. And you're welcome. <laughs> right. I'm going to go over to Susan's house. So Susan is, uh, Susan's house, Julie's looking for the measuring cup, but to no avail. Why is that important? <laughs> well, because she left it at Edie's house and Susan was trying to make some brownies for her uh, nerdy friends. <laughs> That's what she right. said. Dear, uh, uh, you know, again, I... There's different things that are problematic about this relationship, but the back and forth between Susan and Julie is just one of my favorite things. When uh, Susan's looking out the window and, and uh, Julie narrates it, Dear Diary, Mike doesn't know I exist. <laughs> and she tells her to shut up. Don't you need to go make some uh, brownies for your nerdy friends? I love that. Right. Um, back at Gabby's, Carlos comes home late and Gabby says she's sick of eating dinner alone and that she, like you said, she had been so bored she almost cleaned the house. Um, yeah, Carlos has a bracelet for her. She, he, tell, he says, here you go. Here's your bracelet. Now, let's do it. Yeah. Again, it feels very transactional. Yes, definitely. And 
I, I thought that was like an interesting conversation for a married couple to have, like him telling her, well, when I buy you nice things, this is what I expect. Like, right. hmm. Okay. You, uh, he says, you've been a nightmare for a month. What's going on? And she said, this isn't exciting anymore. I want you to be like you used to be. I want you to surprise me. I want you to take my breath away. And he says, okay. So my husband and I were talking about this because like, what does she mean by that? Does she mean she wants him to buy her something really nice? Does she mean he, she wants him to plan some sort of like surprise picnic or whatever? Like, it doesn't seem to me like they have the kind of relationship where take my breath away is something that's not based on a pretty expensive price tag. Right. So she's kind of like, she's kind of feeding into the expensive things are what sort of like grease the wheel in their marriage. And not to take away from the love languages. Some of us experience love by giving gifts. Some of us experience love by receiving gifts. That's how we feel valued or, or things like that. Um, so not to take away from somebody else's love language, but I agree with you is that if this, if you don't want this to be a transaction, if Gabby's not interested in this being a transaction, that you're, we're given, we're given mixed signals about what we want that to mean. Um, but she's finding plenty of excitement elsewhere. So excitement is important to her. Well, and another question, like I know your question was about, does he just have a random box of gifts? Oh, yes. What the heck? How does he have time? If he's so busy with, you know, the ass grabber, sorry, I have like a bug playing. <laughs> he's so busy with this ass grabber. How does he have time to go like the red box? I don't know. Was it Cartier? I don't know like where that I have no idea. Came from somewhere. Like it didn't, I even know. his jewelers, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how does he have time? Did he send his secretary to go buy it? They weren't ordering from Amazon back then. And is the secretary on at all times? That's why I, I was like, does Carlos just have a surprise box of gifts for when he screws up? Um, it, because this bracelet must have been, um, which she, I feel like she has very discerning taste. So like, even if it costs fifteen thousand dollars, she might not like it. Um, so, how did, how does he know that she likes it? Does she like it? I don't even know. Shouldn't seem that shouldn't seem that bowled over by it. But she was also in an emotional state about being alone and right. different things. So can't wait to see what he comes up with uh, later on to to make good on that promise, right? Um, so Susan goes out to the garbage. This is one of my favorite things that happens to me is that, man, when you're looking good, nobody sees you. And when you look a train wreck, you're going to see everybody that you've met in the last 10 years. So when Susan goes out to the garbage in her robe and she sees Mike with his dog, the dog barks at her. Uh, why? Because the dog doesn't like her because she has no makeup on? Is that what I'm supposed to believe? I think so. I think so. But also, like, okay, Susan. Your dream guy lives next door or across the street or wherever. Like, not that, not that looks are, looks are important. But if you're going to be insecure about him seeing you that way, why are you going outside like that when you know the man lives in your neighborhood? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, put on a big hat, put some put some powder and lipstick on if it's going to make you feel like you don't need to try and hide your head in the garbage can when you see him when you hear him. Like. Absolutely. And she does work from home. So I would have imagined that she could find a, a different time. It wasn't urgent that she go out to the garbage cans right now. Uh, but again, like this dog has discriminating taste too, I guess. Uh, 
Um, but I, I, I will take it back because even though she doesn't feel terribly confident, she's not in her, she, she didn't bring it, she's not on point right now, um, she does seem to say that she just, she comes out of her comfort zone and says, do you want to have dinner with me? Like, just blurt it out real quick. Yes. And she wants to have her traditional <laughs> to the neighborhood. Like, why are we lying, Susan? Just, no. just say, like, let's get together and have dinner. You don't have to make up some story. That's right. going to obviously get, you're going to get caught in your story. And what does that do for you then? And then you have to, and then you have to walk it back because he's like, just the two of us. And to me, that would mean, like, I would have accepted that. Or again, I take in mind that how many women were in the writer's room uh, when they were creating the script, Sherry, but that he's like, just the two of us. And I would have taken that as, oh, maybe that's uncomfortable for you to be alone with me. Um, No, Julia would be there. And Julie, you know, we do this all the time. Right. It's, It's commonplace for us anytime someone moves into the neighborhood. Yeah, and you're totally right. I mean, nobody's going to corroborate that for her, so this is going to come back to bite you, and we'll just have to hope that he uh, will be ele- he'll be elegant about it, right? Right. Um, but he says that, well, you're a terrible cook. Why would you invite people over? Well, you know, I invite them over, and then I order takeout. And he says, well, Invite me over for a home-cooked meal of takeout. Yes, no kidding. And I would do the same thing. I'd be like, where would you like dinner from? Because it's definitely not coming from my kitchen. No. Uh, but And he agrees, but he says he'll cook. And Susan tells, uh, goes in and tells Julie, yeah, we have a date. Um, we're going to have dinner with Mike, but uh, you're going to, you're, you're going to need bed rest. You're not, you're not going to show up. You're not going to be there. It's just going to be the two of us. Yes. And now like, of course, 2021, Amanda is like, but you can't go over to somebody's house and say that your kid's sick and they're on bed rest. And because you know contagious viruses and things no it's weird like to think about that now absolutely because i mean there are only a couple things that i would be like embarrassed about being patient zero of of my kid having right head lice is one of them pink eyes one of them it's just like these gross diseases but if my daughter has strep somehow i'm like yeah i'm I'm at work today my daughter has strep and people didn't walk around me on eggshells they're like oh that sucks but they were you know they applaud me for coming into work no go home stay with your kid that needs you also um don't be bringing strep into my office yeah, keep your germs at, at bay, please. But if your kid, ha- but again, I think we should just treat everything like pink eye and head lice, uh, where people uh, don't want to be a, where where people don't want to be around you. Because if I told you that my kid had head lice at home, you're gonna keep your distance from me, even though I'm not scratching my head, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Without ostracizing, but yeah, treat treat everybody like they have head lice. We we need to be more careful about our diseases. Uh, Evie and Mrs. Hoover. Yeah, they go through, they're like digging through the remains in the house and Edie is upset because she doesn't have her insurance check and her poor neighbor. I don't know, like, I don't know who has the worst deal though. <laughs> you were super having to have Edie at her house. Um, she finds the measuring cup and Edie's like, mine was plastic. That wasn't even it. But like, she didn't really seem to care. She was like, I don't know why it's there. Who cares? Which I feel like if your house had burned down and you're digging through and there's something that's not yours that's there that's charred, I feel like you'd be a little bit more curious about it, maybe? Certainly. Um, There are two things that I pulled on there. Number one, 
it's possible that I have a plastic measuring cup in this house and I just don't know about it. I believe both of mine are, are glass, but if I, you know, if I, if it were the other way and I was like, my measuring cup is plastic, it obviously burned and I had a glass one, it wouldn't necessarily change my life. I would be like, yeah, there's plenty of stuff in this house that I didn't know I had. And when we go through the charred remains of it, um, maybe I would find, but I agree with you. I would have been more suspicious if, uh, both my insurance check hadn't come. And so they think something's finicky about that. They're, they're like, oh, something fishy about this. And then I find a measuring cup. So you're right. I probably would have, um, would have been more interested and thanked Mrs. Hoover for, for having found this. But, uh, it gets Mrs. Hoover thinking, and obviously we know that that's the measuring cup from Susan's house that Julie can't find. Yes. And the fact that she starts thinking like, that's a pretty good foreshadow that something sneaky, sneaky is going to go on a little later. Absolutely. Um, this next one is fun for me because I love what I call the spinny reflections. When they introduce a new character, they'll sometimes show them encountering some obstacle three times. I love them. I love the the three that they've done. They've done it this time. You know, uh, her conquests. Her con they'll talk about uh, Edie at some point and say her conquests were legendary and this and this. And they'll show three different times of this happening. And that's uh, the spinny reflection we get here is for Dr. Albert Goldfine, who will be the uh, therapist that works with Bree and Rex. Um, Brie and Rex arrive in Dr. Goldfine's office and were, take, were, were to know from his reflection that, you know, he's dealt with a lot of things in his, in his career, uh, but he might not have ever expected the Vandekamps, that there's going to there's gonna be something special about this couple. I love how Rex is like, yes, you're going to make a lot of money off of us. Like, the good thing is that shows that he's committed to several sessions, but the bad thing is it shows that he knows it's going to probably be pretty problematic. And that, it just, again, it's a show, I get that, but that's the snarkiness that makes me feel that my partner doesn't really want this to work. Right, right. That there's a, there's a level of ambivalence to this, that you're just jumping through the hoop so that you can have your divorce, I suppose. Um, but at the same time, I think that as a therapist, I might have been excited that somebody brought me a gift that would have said something about them. I'm writing it down, but hey, homemade potpourri, that, that says something about you. And now I have a free thing. Right. We're never mad at a free thing. Um, I'll be interested to come back to that, but uh, we'll go over to Lynette's kids who, man. Well, it's like Wild Kingdom in that van. I, I don't know why she keeps driving. Like, as, as this is happening and these kids are like jumping up and down and then like whispering and laughing at her from the back seat, in my head, if, if that were me, I would be pulled over and like, no, we're not, we're not going any further. I will pull this car around. We will not go to Disneyland. Yes, exactly. Yes, I already paid a non-refundable deposit, but we will stay home. Yes. Um, yeah, her, her kids are horsing around in the car, and uh, she says, I'm not going to tell you again, buckle up, as a teacher, man, did I, like, I'm just seeing all the red flags of, you know, we would go over, yes, going over the classroom management plan with my students at the beginning of the year is, how many of you get annoyed by adults who say, if you do that one more time, I swear, and do nothing? How many of you are annoyed? And, and kids are annoyed by that. They are absolutely annoyed that you said you would do something about it and you're not doing, you're not doing anything about it. So it right. goes, the, the current runs both ways. I'm frustrated for both of them, but certainly as a mother, really frustrated for Lynette. And she gets pulled over by a police officer. 
Yes, but at, for Lynette, I'm the most mad at Tom because Tom oh, my God. <laughs> yes. If Tom were there helping, it would be different. But anyway, not that not that a mom can't do it by themselves, but like Lynette's obviously at the end. Of Absolutely. Toolkit. At the end of her mom toolkit. So yes. So then she gets pulled over, and in my head, I'm thinking the officer's gonna like help her out. Right. Like scare the, village? the kids up a little bit. Yeah. Know? And I would have, and again, I guess you have to be careful, but I believe it takes a village. My mom friends know that if my daughter is at your house, you treat her exactly the way you would treat your kids. And if that's, hey, this is, that is not what we do at the Schofield house, uh, shout out Robin, uh, that is not what we do here, then that is the rule, right? That's not a problem for me that you correct my child. And specifically in this case, I think that the police officer could have really yeah, been a good helper to Lynette and said, mind if I have a talk with him? I can't imagine she would have minded. No, she would have been like, please, sir. Yes, please do. But he takes a different approach. Um, she's she not a good mom or she's whatever. Yeah. And like, basically she needs to do better as a mom. Yeah, she said, I yell at them. They never listen to me. It's very frustrating. Well, you have to make them listen. That's your job. And walks away. Oh, hell no. Mm -mm. I thought I thought she was going to get tased. Me too. She was going to get tased. Yeah, and in a 2021, uh, you know, looking at this through the lens, I'm like, oh my goodness, all the things. But when I get out of the car, and man, does she have some quips, right? My babysitter joined the witness protection program. <laughs> If I would have been her babysitter, holy cow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. She has no help. My husband has always gone on business. His lack of compassion and empathy for her. And when it says that he'd been a police officer, what, six years, but had never really encountered a dangerous situation until he met Lynette Scavo, who he then told how to raise her children. Um, Yeah. Yes. That's tough. So. Doesn't give her the ticket. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. I'm going to let you off with a warning. And I love that Lynette says, I accept your apology. Yes. Love her attitude. So then we have Gabby showing up. Um, are we trying to look incognito with the sunglasses? And like, like, what's our, what are we going for? Again, you're right. I have my I have my Jackie Kennedy scarf over me uh, and my dark sunglasses. But yeah, your sexy black dress. Um, you. She said she can't keep hooking up with him at her house because when he's there, he needs to do the gardening because Carlos has seen that the gardening isn't getting done. So she proposes that they have sex there at his parents' house. But he thinks she's breaking up with her, right? Like when she says that. He's like, oh, I can't believe you're breaking up with me here in my own bedroom. And then she's like, no, 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 we can still do it. This has to be here. Before your mom gets home from soccer practice with your little sister. Yeah. Maybe she's going to get thrown out the window. That's what I want to see is Gabby thrown out the window. Oh, my gosh. Heels in the air. (laughs) And scarf flying. I feel like that would be a good payback for her. Yes. I agree. I think the comeuppance has to be there. So, um eager to see what that looks like. Um, we pan back to marriage counseling, right? Bree's engaging in polite small talk. Again, this is session one. I think we're being a little hard on it. It takes time to warm up to a therapeutic relationship with, with that counselor. Um, 
and his and again you've you've pulled on this thread a couple of times that Bree's different according to Rex Bree's different and one of the things that's different about Bree is that she doesn't talk about her feelings it's hard to know if she has any she's always pleasant and I can't tell you how annoying that is uh, yeah he seems to he seems to really want her to be a little bit more raw and while he's feeling this way she can't handle the fact that this therapist <laughs> yes. is like loose on his jacket she oh my goodness it was crazy to watch that scene and just watch how fixated she was and she was tunnel vision like she couldn't even hear anything else because she just she needed that button to be fixed and I've been in a situation where I'm distracted by something and I can't focus until I fix this thing and was it the button on somebody's collar or button on somebody's jacket no absolutely not but there there are things that put me in a good space to be able to create there are things that put me in a good space to be able to problem solve and one of them is making sure that my basic needs are met and apparently for Brie one of her basic needs is that let me fix that button she's not asking you to go do it she's she's resisting the urge to grab her sewing kit she can take care of this herself She's got to have everything orderly though. Like she's got to have the garden orderly and the dinner done right. And like, she's very, she's very particular about having control over every single thing. And I just, it just makes me wonder what we'll see if that shell cracks. Absolutely. What does that look like for Brie if she doesn't have the ability to have everything under control? And what if we can, or what if we can use that to promote growth? Like, let, let's, let, let's, let's find a way in through that. And I think Dr. Goldfine is going to be able to do that. And or Brie is going to show some growth by being able to do that. So when we, when we pan back to that, I'm, I'm going to be excited to talk about that. Um, back at John's parents' house, John gives uh, Gabby a rose. And Gabby realizes that John, this isn't just a fling for, for John, that he's falling in love with her. And she's like, I got to go. Yep. Bye. I'm out. Mm-hmm. which I mean yes Gabby you do need to go and not come back and this is, seems to be the first time that she can think of it that way is that the, the that she never thought that real feelings were going to develop out of this that somebody's going to catch the feels yeah it happens it happens she just so knew it wasn't going to be her so everybody's in love and again bring back to the problematic relationship of this being an un, an unequal relationship and therefore going to have the potential to be this problematic and, and create horrible things and it was just a single rose yeah yes and he said it's perfect he said it, you should get, because even as he gives it to her she's like oh it's a rose flippant and dismissive no 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 you don't understand it's not just any rose look at it all the petals are perfect just like you mm-hmm. yes we're going to circle back to that rose and the single rose a little later mm. i have an observation to share can't wait um uh, just heartbreaking and cringe and all the things um susan and mike are preparing for their dinner together uh edie sees them and goes through goes through the garbage talking about uh, uh, garbage no goes through the, the bag something out of their bag of she's something. super hungry that would have made this next part go better i guess if i saw somebody eating out of the garbage i'd be more tempted but um she starts going through their bag and like oh i haven't been able to eat really well since this whole you know my house burned down and everything that sounds so good and mike gives susan a look 
that says, you know, is it okay if Edie joins? Just the look, right? You yeah. didn't ask it. Uh. Yeah, but Edie was really trying super hard for that invitation. Like she knows how to, she knows how to work her way in there. Absolutely. And I guess this would be, I mean, I, this is my fault. Susan's just a better person than I am apparently. Uh, but I'd be like, you know, as soon as this conversation was over and I, you know, got rid of Edie, be like, you know what? I think I'll send her a Grubhub uh, certificate or something. I'll, I'll do something nice for her, but it's not going to be invite her to my date. Yes. 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 And to which crying though. She's trying to be the best version of herself. To which Edie, and again, I hate this. It's like, no, I wouldn't want to intrude. Yeah, you would, first of all. And second, then it's, oh, and then Mike says, oh, no, it's not like that. It's one of her traditional dinners. Well, I didn't get one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, because nobody, she didn't want to have dinner with you anyway. Get it? Yeah, no. Susan, this is why we don't lie. No kidding. So, um, and again, Edie is vilified in many ways that I think are problematic, but this one, it just, she's, this just sucks. She just is a sucky person in this, this, uh, situation. And, um, you end with a, a quip, right? Is that he's like, does she have any special dietary restrictions? And nope, nope she's a carnivore. Definitely eats meat. No worries there, right? Um, back over with Martha Huber. Uh, she's at Lynette's house collecting clothes for Edie, and she mentions Lynette getting pulled over, and she says, you know, young boys can be so willful. She seems to be reaching out to, like, this is a genuine moment, I felt like, that Mrs. Huber is compassionate and sympathetic. Like, I, I know, young boys can be so willful. It started off seeming like she was compassionate, but then she was like, then she ended it, like, with the sort of mean comments about her was it about her mom or yes absolutely so again she's setting me up to like I like I'm gonna find I'm gonna find the nugget that's good about you Mrs. Hoover and then you let me down every single time but yeah, yeah. She, she absolutely does say that she said you know she tells uh, Lynette that her mother left her by the side of the road because she was being bad in the car and drove off it wasn't very far and she came back immediately but her mom her mother was a smart woman and she understood that you had to take the the, the hard line with kids sometimes smart lady she says you know of course now her brain is mush and she's in a home uh, yeah I'm not sure about that I feel like every interaction that we have with this woman they have to like throw something on there to like make her seem like she's a little off kilter. Definitely. And again, it almost, I feel like that almost says to Lynette, okay, I should do this, but then my kids are going to put me in a home. Right. right. So, <laughs> there's no, there's no way out of this. Yeah. And it doesn't see, you know, Mrs. Hoover definitely doesn't get that connection and Lynette's going to do it eventually. So she doesn't say yeah. that either. Yeah. Um, let's check in with Paul and the wooden chest that he just throws in the water. Uh, oh wait, you missed, um, Sorry. Huber saying that, um, Edie's trash. Oh gosh, yeah. I missed a lot of things actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go back. Okay. So how do we want to go to that? After we have that interaction with Lynette and Mrs. Huber, she's, she's moving around the neighborhood trying to find clothes for Edie and find Susan and, um, Susan, she says to her, she has nothing to wear. And Susan says, oh, I thought that was the look she was going for. You see a little meanness from Susan, a little cattiness. But then Martha says, Susan E might be trash, but she's still a human being. So she acknowledges that this house guest that she's 
you know, a good Christian and is taking care of is trash, but still a human, but trash. No kidding. And when I, and when I, when I listened to that, I'm like, so what is it that my friends who were, who took me in off the street would say is that, you know, yeah, Rachel's annoying, but she's still a human. Like, oh my God, what's my moniker? What are you going to throw out there? Yeah. Oh, God. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yes. So uh, how kind of Mrs. Hoover to do everything she's doing for Edie, but also trash her. <laughs> I mean, she like, she's not great with the things that she does, but like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know what I mean? Like, is she means everybody because everybody's mean to her or I don't know. And rejecting people before they get a chance to reject her and she's going to have the power in this situation and right definitely going to be the alpha and nothing about yeah i get that i get that um susan is on her way somewhere else though uh when she was caught by mrs hoover it was that she was uh looking at the mysterious note and then over at zach and says that she needs to talk to his dad um so he brings her over to paul who's covering a wood chest in plastic which he puts on the vehicle and he is you know lacking sympathy for his late wife definitely grieving but Definitely angry with her, but also um, not really interested in a conversation with Susan, who's not good at taking the hint on that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he says that he doesn't care what her reasons were. She abandoned her husband and son and he'll never forgive her, which I mean, that anger is part of grief. So um, that's, you know, that tracks for, for that kind of situation, I would think. And he's, um, eager to get rid of this chest right this she caught me while i was doing it even and but he kept doing it he kept working on what he was doing and shoved it in the car while she was there so just don't give anybody reasons to you know like think about this awful thing i just said about my wife and not caring about my wife uh, as opposed to what i'm doing with this toy chest let's not have that conversation he he can shut down the conversation let's just make this as awkward and horrible as possible and also slam the door in your face and drive off Uh, we can we can stop this conversation really quick real quick so then he goes and throws this wooden chest into some public body of water that's that's where at my house we were like why are we digging it up from our own property to go put it someplace that it can be found easily by anybody who's dragging the lake for whatever reason Yes, because under my pool, on my own property, it's ostensibly safe, right? Um, nobody's going to get to it. I, we talked about the paranoia. Maybe he doesn't think it's still there. Maybe he thinks somebody already got to it. Again, it was a lot of work to get to this. So I don't know. After you're digging for a while, maybe you get to a place where you're like, I don't have to do this because I would have noticed somebody doing this and having it, right? Right, right. But yes, it's important. And it's important to the plot of the story. So, you know, what can we do? The writers have to do what they have to do. So we're back at we're back at Mrs. Huber's uh, quest to get clothes for Edie. So she stops by Susan's to get them. Julie goes upstairs to get it, and Mrs. Huber looks through her groceries, just nosy, just nosy as heck. Um, that who just like starts pawing through bags? I mean, she puts on the perfume that is in yeah. the bag. <laughs> I thought that was kind of wild myself. And she finds a new glass measuring cup. Dun, 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 the measuring cup is back. Miss Julie says, yeah, we lost ours, so I had to get another one. Uh, and she says, you know, I can't find those clothes that you were talking about. Oh, no, it's okay, Julie. You've done enough. 
you've helped more than you'll ever know. You've done enough. Oh my gosh. Great. You're going to get busted for arson. <laughs> so that does make some of the like small mistakes I've made, you know, at my neighbor's houses. I never burned their houses down. So you're welcome, Kendall. I never burned your house down. I just, I don't even know if I've broken anything at her house yet. Well, now that I've said it, it'll happen. So, oh, sure. knock on wood, knock on wood. <laughs> Um, back at the therapist's office, Bree is waiting for Rex at the therapist's office, but Dr. Goldfine tells her that Rex won't be coming and offers to give her a solo session, to which she politely declines, but man, she sees that damn button again. Yeah, she cannot handle the button. And I love that as she's like working on the, on the button, she starts talking. Like that's, that's the key, like hand the woman something she can busy herself with fixing and her, she's an open book. Ding, 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 right? And we found that with students, right? Is that they don't all learn the same. So this this student is doing a better job, you know, demonstrating proficiency to me by wrapping something than they do by writing a paper or by, by you know, I don't know, being compliant in my class and doing, you know, X, Y, or Z. But that, that that's not what's going to work. And Dr. Goldfine can see that now. He, he's a little reluctant at first. He's like, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know what Freud would say about this. I don't think that this would be, this would be acceptable. And she's like, well, he was a terrible human being. Yes. And her reasons for such that, well, was he ever grateful to his mother? Think about what his mother went through. And then he writes the, and then he writes this theory that everything that's ever happened bad in his life is because of his mother, how betrayed she must feel. What a parallel. Yes. All right there. Yes, and the, the idea of gratitude. She said, do you think he ever thanked her for all the things that she did for him? I doubt it. There's that. There's the heart of the matter for our friend Bree. And it really gives Dr. Goldfine some insight, and I will be happy when he applies this later on when, when Rex is back in the room. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Meanwhile, Gabby and Susan have gone shopping. Um, and Susan has like one bag and our friend Gabby is loaded down with multiple giant bags from Burberry which that's not cheap nope I wouldn't know really but I'm told it's not I guess I could google I'm pretty sure I can't afford it it's very expensive when I saw the two bags I was like oh this was a serious shopping trip then I counted at least eight bags yeah I mean, my goodness, again, like I can't, I can only remember multiple bags of clothes, like at back to school time. And there are when multiple children are involved. Right. But holy cow. Um, but that's not all there is to see. Um, Susan sees the rose and Gabby says accidentally just uh, right off the top of her head. Oh, John gave that to me. Um, what? The rose, the rose was in baby's breath. Did you notice that it was in a vase with baby's breath? I don't see Gabby as someone who just has some like random baby's breath lying around. Right. Where did it come from? Right. So plot hole. I think that I think it was a mistake. I think they meant for him to have given it to her with some accoutrement with it or vice versa. Maybe I don't know. But definitely was not given to her with the other the other flower garnishes, whatever you would call those. I absolutely did not think of that. And also that there was work involved in putting a single rose in a vase. So maybe this isn't as flippant to, um, or maybe Gabby isn't as flippant about this as I might have thought that she's reflecting on 
that this is that this is becoming an issue for for him that he is in love with her and yeah so maybe there's there's some growth happening there but you're right she does have it in a super prominent place in her house like literally the front table walking in next to this like artistic arrangement of like all these other flowers and then there's like this single rose in a vase it's just it definitely seemed like it was important to her Mm. And, uh, you know, Gabby tries to, like, fluff it off at, you know, she says this is a color palette. Am I wrong about this? Because, again, I don't know because I don't pick out flowers. That What grows at my house grows at my house, and it's because somebody else that lived here before me grew it there. Uh, but don't color palettes have more than one color? If I was picking roses, wouldn't I, like, pick more? Like, I would see more than one color, right, to pick them? I would think. I would think yes can't wait for somebody to write in and tell us what that is uh, and comment on our podcast and tell tell me what that would look like uh, back over to uh we talked about Brie talking about how she found Freud to be a miserable human being um we talked about that oh sorry I guess we go back to Lynette yeah we're back in Lynette's car again Okay, so the boys are back at it in the back seat, and uh, Lynette's lip gloss is on point here. I just have to say, like her lip gloss looked really, really good here. And I'm like, did she? You know, she she toughed herself up, put on some lip gloss before she decided she was going to do this. And yeah, she decides to leave the boys by the side of the road and drives off. After she comes back, they're gone. This is my absolute nightmare. This is what would happen if I got self righteous. Okay, I thought for a second that when she threw them out of the car. She was going to make them walk and like drive alongside them. Hmm, okay. That would be a good in the middle of what yeah. Miss Cooper said her mother did and not getting put in a home yourself. Right. It's more of a consequence than like actual abandoning your child. Right. And I feel like she didn't go far. I think, it, I think she did like turn the corner, but when she did, she, when she comes back, they're gone. But, okay, really quick, wasn't the baby also in the baby seat in the front seat? Yeah, nobody did. do it, right? Even in 2004 did we do that. We did not do that. Pediatricians have been saying this since, it, like, I, I think my youngest nephew um, would have been 1999, and absolutely not. Okay. It definitely didn't happen after that. Just making sure. Okay, anyway, so. I don't know what they do in smart cars or two-seaters or anything, but I feel like those people who have those probably don't have a car seat in them, but mm-hmm. it could be wrong. But absolutely not. That is, yeah, not okay. Right. Even back then. Um, so, the yeah, baby in the front seat. Come on. Um, yeah. Porter, Parker, Preston, four kids under the age of six. That's a, that's, whew, that's a lot. I just, I would never, I would, I just, I don't know what I would do. I just want to hug her so bad. So the, uh, the boys go, you know, she's looking for the boys and Lynette finds that they're in someone's kitchen. All right. Like that fast, they've been scooped up and they're eating cookies and someone's already made some decisions about Lynette as a parent. Yes. She just berates her. Um, that that you know I think you have some anger issues that you need some help you need therapy I I don't disagree that Lynette needs help and that therapy could be one of those helps um there's there's lots that's going that is going on there but she's withholding those children from her and again the way she's presented is she's presented as you know a shrew but you would be concerned right you would be concerned if somebody just leaves their three children drives off and you're the one standing there so I have some sympathy for what I would feel in that moment yes definitely but then Lynette calls them out and 
and the woman sort of attacks her and the boys don't want that. The one bites the lady in the leg and then they show her, which I'm like, oh, broken bones. There's a lot. <laughs> oh, no, we don't need any more broken bones on this podcast. Um, yeah. It, and it's kind of that you can't mess with my mom. That's my mom. And, yeah. you know, so the boys are now on Lynette's side, um, gets back in the, gets back in the car, buckle up like perfect professionals. Yeah. Like they've been cured. Of their <laughs> bad car behavior. Meanwhile, the ladies yelling, "Get back here before I call social services." Well, if I get back there, like, yeah, worse. <laughs> so no, <laughs> probably not. I'm getting away with this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, problem solved at least for today. Lynette feels like a win, and her lip gloss is on point. So good for her. Yeah, she'll live to fight another day. Carlos has a present for Gabby. Yes, she has her breath taken away by this beautiful Maserati convertible because that's what's important to her is that is nice things. And I love that. He's like, cost me an arm and a leg. Like <laughs> where did he find the time to buy it? And also was just driving by and thought, and thought she'd look pretty in it. Yeah. And is that the first thing you say to somebody? Well, here's this thing I got for you. Cost me an arm and a leg. Like, kind of defeats the purpose of doing something kind for someone and like we like you had said at the beginning I guess this didn't like this didn't um fit into the surprise box of things that maybe he does have a, a hanger full of cars um instead of airplanes uh full of cars that he could just give to her at any point but yeah it takes time to do these things even if you're paying cash it does take time to buy a car couple hours out of your day and I, he really portrays himself to be a super busy man right and your assistant can't really do is your assistant going to be able to text title and license that for you like yeah. i feel like there's like there's a concierge service that he is accustomed to in life but i feel like this yeah you'd still have to do some work but again suspend disbelief and gabby's happy about the car it's true and john sees it and is john like across the street like it looks to me like he's so is he like the neighborhood gardener or he's really trying to like around a corner like how does that work it looked like he was yeah doing the neighbor's lawn as well mm -hmm. um, and he sees this and it just you know breaks his heart that all he can give her is a rose and somebody else just bought her i don't, I don't even know is that a six-figure car um i don't know but it's definitely not we're definitely not talking about like your garden variety commuter car Right. So we might need to Google that one and and come back to that in episode three. We can circle that back. <clears throat> um, Susan arrives to Mike's house early to help him set up, but Edie's already there. Go figure. Um, and Bongo does not like, that dog does not like Susan, and it responds well to Edie. And Edie says, you know, what's wrong, Bongo? Is it a weird smell? Yeah, and she's like, dogs are extremely sensitive. Like, she's, she is, like, coming at Susan, both barrels. Just gag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that competitive. Like, it's too obvious. And, and Mike's just like, you're dinner. Look at me. Having a nice dinner with my friends. No kidding. And that is so coming, that's so coming to the surface there that uh, Mike clocks it. And look at my, look how the dog likes Edie. And that makes me smile. And uh, again, I, I have to imagine there weren't a ton of women around that writer's table in the writer's room. But nope. anyway. 
Um, back at therapy, uh, Rex is upset. He says, this whole it takes two to mess up a marriage theory is bull. The problems we have are because of her. And we do see Bree say, that's not true, Rex. And and he said, fine, tell me one thing I've done wrong. Can I can write them down. Yeah. I've been here two episodes, but I've got, I've got some stuff. How about pass the salt? We can start with that comment. You're not supportive with our children. No. Mm-mm. You, and Dr. Goldfind uh, seems to have picked up on this too. He says, do you ever acknowledge the benefits of living with Brie? Do you ever thank her? He's picked up on, on this. He says, your clothes are always laundered. You have nice meals. Your house is always clean. Like, where's the gratitude? Where's the gratitude? So it's clear that he really, he really heard Brie while she was having her, her open book moment while she was fixing that button. And you can just see that little smirk on her face that mm-hmm. she's like, well, first she gets a look of surprise, like, wow, somebody's finally standing up for me. And then she gets a smirk because she she feels a little bit of a victory. In this yeah, season. certainly validated, right? That I, that, yes, I have my flaws, but this is totally true. And I didn't tell him I didn't feel appreciated. It, it's, it, it, you, you feel seen in that moment. And even though she is not ready to say things necessarily yet. Um, just feeling seen from that moment. Yes. Oh, the dinner back back over at the the dinner. Uh, Edie says to Susan, you know, in my heart, I believe Susan that you you and your ex husband will get back together. And Julie is an amazing wing wing person. She is a great partner. Yes, I love how Edie's like. I've never seen. I don't know that you'll ever find that kind of chemistry with anybody ever. Like she's yeah. very very calculating, and Julie's like. Wow, what about your fourth husband? What about the the tattoos that they took away in handcuffs? Like, she's ready to have her mom back. Legit. And nobody else could say that. Susan couldn't say that back to her, couldn't say that back to her, but Julie can. And and it'll be okay that she says it because she's 15, 14, whatever she is. And she does, she just does have Susan's back. And then, and then Susan's like, oh, let's change the subject. Yes. You want to keep talking about it, Edie? Like, yeah, you you brought us here, and uh, you know you're you're asking for you were asking for it, and you got it. But I'll be the bigger person and say, let's just change the subject. Julie, that was just one of her special friends. Yeah, I love that. Um, and um, yeah, this is, she said, no, Julie, she wasn't married to Javier. That's just one of her special friends. But let's change the subject. Yes. I love that. Um, Edie demonstrates a trick with Bongo again, ingratiating yourself to the host dog. Mm-hmm. Definitely. She knows that's his soft spot. So then our friend Susan goes into the kitchen and there was a comment made about the gravy and how much the dog, and the dog like jumps on the table and tries yes. to eat Edie's meal. My, yeah. that's, is that how, how your dog acts in his house? Come on. But then Susan decides she's going to use the gravy like bait. Yes. Yes. I mean, I was kind of grossed out by this. She's rubbing it on her hand and like on her earlobes, and mm-mm. I and again, I get to this place where I am not a dog person. I am not really an animal person. I think it's great that other people do, and I would never want them not to have them. It's just not something that I want to do. It's not another project I want to take on in my in my own home. But Susan is seeing that this is working so she's going to do it too and I wish she were a little stronger than that but what can I you know what can I say I understand you're you're feeling like they 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 likened it to um 
like a boxing match and there's they're saying round one goes to this person and you know you can see it's like she feels like she's getting beaten pretty badly um and that this might be a way that she could even it up or or possibly win and it works ish for a second there it does so the dog does respond to that he 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 responds to it almost too well yes um the dog starts licking susan's neck which i i know that's why i'm not a dog person but i am a dog person but there are limits um and then all of a sudden susan the dog starts choking and susan's long beaded earring is gone all van- all but vanished and so it's a mad dash to the vet and susan asks you know can i can i help can i no and it's just a very crisp no whereas edie's gonna go in there and clean his whole house and make it look spotless and beautiful and it'll all be ready for him when he gets home um and susan gets that basically you've already done enough yeah oh yes oh yes that is so how that feels right um, and at the vet, you know, Susan's not going to take no for an answer. She shows up anyway, but Susan joins Mike to ask how Bongo is doing and she apologizes profusely and brings Bongo a bone. He, you know, it, for, to his credit, um, Mike apologizes yes. and it seems that Bongo has passed the earring and the vet says, do you want it back? Susan politely declines. No thanks. Nope. Um, and Mike reveals that the dog really was his wife's dog and he promised her in the hospital that she would take care of it for him. And Susan recognizes that Mike is still in love with his late wife. And that they're going to just be buddies for a while. Yeah. And buddies. Good old Edie is back cleaning up Mike's house. Yes, absolutely. And she puts things in his pantry and we see a map, money, a gun, and pictures of the neighbors. But Edie hasn't happened upon those items yet. She's just putting things away. She just opened one side of the cabinet, not the other. She was lucky. She opened the the side of the cabinet that actually held the household items and not the, you know, the weapons and the evidence. It's an ah, but underneath moment, right? Is that that dramatic irony? We can see it, but they can't see it. Um, And then the goofs we found from IMDb that Mike has this map of Wisteria Lane, which details the residents of each house along with their ages when they moved in. And he notes that the, in the Scavo residence, Tom, Lynette, Porter, Parker, Preston, and the baby is listed as Daisy, though her name is Penny because all of the P's, right? Uh, also, the picture of Susan is the is like what you would take if you had been standing in her room when she turned around to look at Julie. So it's like a screen grab, basically, picture. And I thought that was like, yeah, again, in 2004, maybe we just didn't. They weren't going to listen to us if we cared that that is fishy. Um, but yes. Hmm. And, and we end with the narrator telling us uh, people rarely take a look. They just keep moving, which is a shame because there's so much to see. And what do we see? But the wooden chest emerging from the water somewhere. Who saw that coming? Leave it in your, if you have something buried underneath your pool, just leave it there. And that that's the lesson for today. If you have something buried under your pool, just leave, leave it there. Just leave it. Uh, Amanda, that was awesome. Lots to unpack. Lots of, I can't wait to see what's next. I'm so glad I don't remember. Yes. Well, next week where we're headed, right, is Pretty Little Picture. And we'll get, all, we'll get even further where that resurfaces, where, where it ends up. Who knows? Maybe we'll also come to you with how much that Maserati costs. We just oh, to- that would be awesome because we found out about the lawnmower after the fact. So, uh, but until then, I'm Rachel. I'm Amanda. 
and thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Noisy Fulfillment. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.